Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the 291st episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with novelist Poppy G, author of the new novel, Vanishing Falls. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Poppy G, author of the new novel, Vanishing Falls. Poppy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Jeff. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your novel, Vanishing Falls, yet, how would you describe the novel? I would describe it as a character-driven, slow-burn, psychological mystery set in a rainforest in Tasmania. Would you like me to elaborate? Um, yeah, if you, if you have a little more info, that'd be great. So it, um, the idea is that it's um, a, a, a woman disappears from her beautiful histor- historic country home in the middle of a windy, wet, freezing cold winter's night and she's been at a function and she comes home alone. Her husband did not attend the function with her and when he gets home later in the evening, he discovers the front door wide open, the rain washing in onto their beautiful antique rug. And in the living room, he finds that his wife has poured herself a glass of champagne. She's taken off her earrings and put them on the side table. She's taken off her shoes and her coat, but she's nowhere to be seen. And that's the premise of the mystery. Um, So he knows he needs to find her because all eyes are currently looking at him. And do you remember the original idea that led you to write Vanishing Falls? Sure. It, I, it was actually, there were quite a few tiny ideas that I had that I sort of weaved together. But I suppose the very first few pages that I wrote were about one of the main characters, who is a woman called Joelle. And many years ago, 
I had heard of a young girl who had inadvertently been caught up in a horrible crime and and it had affected her life um, terribly. And so I, I didn't really know many more details about that, but I felt sorry for this young girl who, um, you know, through her own actions but also she was coerced into sort of being part of something awful. And I just was sort of hoping to write her a happy ending but, of course, because it's a murder mystery, everything had to go terribly wrong for this poor character before she could have the happy ending. So that's where the character of Joelle came from. But other things that I, um, initial ideas included um, a priceless painting that had been discovered in a junkyard and the um there's a references to drug addiction in there, which is an issue in Tasmania. Of course, the beautiful wilderness of Tasmania, I'm always drawn to that and find it extremely inspiring. And the character of Jack, the man whose wife disappears, I that, that sort of initial idea was the idea of a man who has everything he could ever dream of, wealth, health, family, land, but it's not enough and he sort of steps outside the parameters of respectability, I guess, to indulge in, um, you know, something that may or may not be socially acceptable. And and also our female friendships, I was sort of the um, intricacies of the complexities of female friendship and how fraught they can be, how wonderful they can be, but also the darker side of, of female friendships where... Um, you often, um, you know, women can manipulate, it can be manipulative or deceitful. Um, and sort of exploring that that idea through some of the women in the book. So there were sort of all these bits of pieces that I was trying to um, somehow tie together that when when you sort of, as a novelist, as you get to that point at the end, it's, it's quite satisfying to see that it does all come together and, and there's reasons for all these things within the novel. Well, you mentioned the setting of Tasmania for the novel. For those mm-hmm. listeners who who may not be that familiar with Tasmania, can you kind of tell us a little bit more about um, Tasmania? Yeah, I'd love to. So Tasmania is an island at the bottom of Australia. It is um, it's quite tiny. It's full of wild, beautiful forests and um, quite treacherous coastlines. And it is not that well populated. Um, and it, I grew up there, so I spent the first 18 years of my life living there. My parents still live there and my sister lives there and most of my cousins live there. Um, and it's a very interesting place because while it's so beautiful and it has an amazing food and wine culture and a um, thriving art culture, it's also within Australia it ranks lowest um, on almost every level of socioeconomic performance from employment to income, um, education and health. So you sort of have these, why I find it intriguing I guess as a novelist is you have these diverse people all living together in um, the one place. So while it might be struggling a little bit economically, it, it attracts so many people who come to live there for their sea change or their green change. Um, so you have all walks of life 
all living quite closely together. So it is it is a place of, of contrast and it has a very dark history because it was established, um, the British established a penal colony there in the early 1800s where they transported all the worst of the worst prisoners from Britain and that sort of, um, I, I find that fascinating, that history of the, um, it's quite tragic, the, the dispossession of the um, Aboriginal people from their land within this sort of convict history and where sort of today you see the, um, the, we're sort of starting to come to terms or trying to reconcile this terrible past which for a long time in Tasmania people had denied um for example when I was in high school um we barely learned anything about the Aboriginal Tasmanians which is a shame so I've probably learned more about them since I've left school um but yeah I just find it a very intriguing place well, I know that crime novels often deal with violence and trauma at some point in the novel, but it's interesting that with your character, Joelle, that you're exploring the viewpoint of a character whose life has been shaped by trauma. What led you to writing about Joelle? Yeah, she she is a character who you could describe as neurodiverse. Her brain does not work in the same way as most people, so she... She struggles to read or write very well uh, and she struggles to read social cues but then she's very good at other things. Like She's very sociable and very warm and engaging and charismatic. She's a beautiful mother and she's very popular within the town. But I think I, with her... She, she, she's, had a, she's had something awful to happen to her but not just that, she's also been quite neglected as a child um, and I what I was hoping to do is and maybe it's idealistic but to, to write a character who overcomes that so often you do have in these in these like you said in, in darker mystery novels in crime novels you have tortured characters and that's their that's why they're so complex but I actually think Joelle um, Yes, she has survived some trauma. She has survived uh, a childhood that was lacking in many regards. But she's but through um, love and people sort of embracing her, this little village embraces her. She she triumphs over that, and she's trying to live the best life she possibly can. She's she's the happiest character in the book. <laughs> <laughs> So what are your earliest memories of reading in books? I've always loved reading. I love um, my mum used to read to us a lot when we were children and as soon as I could read by myself, I I would often sneak off with a book and, I, you know, I remember hiding from mum so I could read thinking it must be something that's naughty because it's so much fun to go and read your book somewhere <laughs> while, you, while she doesn't know where I am. Um, we, we, we loved, our, our house was full of books. Um, mum was a big reader. So we would have started on the Enid Blyton books, um, the faraway tree, um, and, and the wishing chair. And it's interesting. I'm now reading those to my four year old and he, 
he loves them. And it was such a beautiful thing to, to the first night when I sat down with my four-year-old and opened the um, Enid Blyton's Far Away Tree book and I said to him, you have to close your eyes and imagine this tree and these characters, Moonface and Silky and the Saucepan Man. Um, and he did and every night he would beg me, is it, is it bedtime? Can we go to bed so we could read the <laughs> chapters of the book? It's it's really lovely. So seeing him, um, seeing my child um, begin to realise that there's this whole world out there of books and he said to me, because we finished it, and he said, what's next? I said, there's so many amazing books. So he's really excited and that was my experience of, of reading too. So I think um, those um those beautiful imaginative stories, um, they stay with you forever, the ones that you read as a child. True. So what was your path to writing and publishing your first novel? Had you always wanted to be a writer? Sure, I did. I love writing. I've always loved writing. I never I, I, I never actually thought I could be a writer. It seemed to me something that... Um, you know, it would be like saying I'm going to be an astronaut. It's just something that other people do. But because I've I've always written a diary, I've always um, written little poems and stories and things. So I I realised as I finished my university degree, which was in journalism, I realised that's what I wanted to do. And I also realised you need support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corian's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corian.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corian.com. To uh, find a way to earn a living, uh, so I became a journalist and worked in newspapers and then in magazines and following that went back to newspapers um, as a sub-editor, taught journalism at uni. So I've sort of always done things that were related to writing and I actually think that has helped me a lot, particularly with the editing. I've heard some writers say they don't like being edited or they feel offended if, if an editor you know, question something or doesn't doesn't understand what they're trying to achieve. Personally, I love it. My worst fear is when I remember that when I showed one of my manuscripts to my mum years ago, I said, can you give me some feedback? And she goes, it's really good. And I was bitterly disappointed because there's nothing you can do with really good. You actually want to get pages of notes from someone who understands the how to craft a story, you know, ripping your thing apart. And I want them to be brutally honest I, I love that side of it and I think that comes from my training as a journalist where you're used to in the newsroom an editor turning your okay average story into something that's quite snappy and and, and memorable. 
And and what led you to submitting and getting your first novel published? Well, that was a few years ago now, and I'd done a I'd realized that in Australia quite a few of the novelists who I admired had done some um uh, uh like they'd they'd done a masters or a PhD or something similar in tertiary education. So I thought I'll do a masters in creative writing. And I wrote a novel through that process. So I was doing that when my children were babies. And when I finished that two-year course, uh, it was, um, I remember it was summer, it was December. I was sitting here one evening with, like a Friday night with my husband having a glass of wine. And I Googled literary agent New York and all the lists of all the those big literary agencies came up and then I trawled through those websites and found one that looked very pretty and then I found within that um, agency uh, an agent who she had represented books that I'd that I'd liked that I thought were a bit similar to mine and she seemed to like the same kind of books as me because they have their little profile there so I contacted her and her name's Julia Kenny and she read my manuscript um, and offered representation and yeah that we still work together today she's an amazing editor and I'm I'll, I will be grateful to her forever I've, I've said to her before you waved the magic wand for me so that was said I, I was lucky though I, I know and that was that was the first person you emailed yes or contacted yes and she said <laughs> that what she found attractive is that in my um, cover letter I said you're the first agent that I've spoken to that's an amazing story it is an amazing story and my mentor at the time who was my supervisor at university he's a famous um australian author he said don't tell anyone because people will get jealous or they'll think that's (laughs) what should happen and it never happens so hopefully my luck hasn't run out there (laughs) (laughs) so when you were working on your first novel were there any specific areas of writing a novel that you had to figure out characterization or plotting or dialogue or setting yeah, absolutely. I feel, I, I mean, obviously I feel I'm constantly improving where the more you do something, the more you can find ways to do it better. But I do, I find my characters in my landscape come quite naturally. The dialogue, I can just sort of hear it as I'm writing it. Um, but the writing a mystery or a psychological thriller there's so much more than just telling a story. It's a puzzle and you you want to provide all the pieces of the puzzle so that the reader is sort of slotting it all together but not working it out too soon. But, but they, you know, I think if you, um, you know, I think the experts say they a, a reader needs to sort of work it out 10 or 15 pages before the um, protagonist does. Um so I think that that's the bit that I find hard. I think that's kind of the science side of it in a way because it is, it's got to have pace and balance to make it work as, as, a, as a mystery. And, yeah, I, 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 you know, it's not, it doesn't come easily. It's something I really have to think about and reflect on and work at to try and make sure it's, it's coming together properly. And, and what is the writing process like for you for uh, these two novels? Have Do you plot them out completely before you sit down to write the novel? 
um, or is it a more organic process? What ha- what has that been like for you? I wish I could just plot them out. I wish I could sit down and write down bullet points for each chapter and then knock it out. And I reckon I could have it written in under eight weeks. <laughs> but unfortunately, <laughs> I just write whatever pops into my head. And so generally it takes me sort of like about two years. <laughs> um, hopefully I will get faster. No, I, I do. I, it's very organic. Um, but it's, I, I write how I read. So you know when you're reading and you don't know what's going to happen next and you just get so sort of lost in it. I feel that is a little bit how I write. Obviously at the end you sort of have to go back through and make sure um, that every scene is there for a purpose. Um, so, but, yeah, it's not an efficient use of time, that's for sure. <laughs> so so what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are working on their own stories or novels? Oh, look, I think I think that people that write, they write because they love to. And I think you have to write I think you have to write thinking no one's ever going to read it. And I I think there's something quite wonderful to write in that way. And I know I've I've heard um more established writers talk about it a little bit differently and and I understand where they're coming from and and they they admit they write for their reader and they purely they're thinking about their reader the entire time but I think if you if you need to write with your heart and that's how you'll get something that's original and unique um as as an emerging writer I'm sure that the established writers know exactly what they're doing um um, but I think when you're starting out, you you do sort of have to um, – well, you do it because you love it because there's a really good chance no one will read it, <laughs> sadly. But, I mean, I've got – I could tell you I've got – before my first novel was published, I wrote five manuscripts and no one will ever read those. <laughs> They're sitting in a box somewhere. <laughs> and between Have you ever my- gone back to look at them? Oh, you do, but then you sort of cringe and go, ew. Um, I wrote one between my last novel and this novel and it was set in 1837 on a sheep station in Tasmania and they <laughs> it just is it it was sort of um you know a stranger comes to the farm but I just don't think there's much of a commercial appetite for <laughs> something like that <laughs> so maybe I will have um you know, a light bulb moment and be able to transform it into something. But it's certainly, and it was very much about the um, sort of the politics of the 1830s in Tasmania. I read all these newspapers and of, um, you know, I went down the rabbit hole of research and didn't emerge for a while. And so it's sort of like a, a domestic story of the manners of the day and the politics of the day. But it's, unless you were a scholar, a historian of Tasmanian history in the 1830s it probably wouldn't even make sense (laughs) so I don't know right from the heart but 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 maybe think what readers want to read (laughs) (laughs) so are you working on another novel now I'm just putting the finishing touches on one actually that I um, I'm hoping to get it to my agent and it's again set in Tasmania in a little ski village up in the mountains and there's a group of people who've known each other for a very long time. They all belong to a ski lodge and they believe that someone among them is a murderer. So I I've I just I, I I just don't have a lot of time at the moment to 
I feel like if I could just have a week, I would have it ready for my agent. But I'm, I've got three kids in a busy household, so it's hard to find the time to um, just sort of read over it one more time. <laughs> so what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Well, I've just finished The Bluffs by Kyle Perry, which is set in Tasmania, not far from where my novel is set, and that's his debut, and I love a debut novel. I just think they're so refreshing and exciting. And he, his is a murder mystery with a sort of supernatural element to it. Um, last night I finished in the middle of the night because I woke up and couldn't get back to sleep, I finished reading um, the Lucy Foley book, The Guest List, Um so that was quite that. That's quite a good book. And what else have I read? I've, I've actually read quite a few books lately. Um, one of my favourites was Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. And yeah, I don't I'm think you're the only person to read that. Nonfiction at the moment. <laughs> Great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novel? My website is poppyg.com and if they go to that website, they can find – I've got um, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter so they can find those um, They can find those social media handles there. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Poppy G, author of the new novel Vanishing Falls. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Poppy, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, you're welcome, Jeff. It was a pleasure talking to you. Great. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and Writing Podcast Special Offer. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
my guy. You're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.